is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'd stay in But he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am. joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Well, amen. That's a good song, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Boy, if there's an area in our Christian lives we need to continue to work on and strive to be better at, it would be that, wouldn't it? Praying and just reaching out to the Lord regularly, consistently. Well, I'll tell you what, we are in a desperate need for prayer in our day and age, amen? And we say that every generation, but boy, it just seems as of late, boy, we need God to get in on some things. So let's be praying, amen? That's good. That's a wonderful song, wonderful message. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8 today. Again, we're kind of ending our missions month. It's the last day of the month, and so today's kind of that end. And tonight we're going to have communion, by the way, just mentioning that to you. Uh, We'll be having that this evening as well. But uh, we'll be kind of finalizing and finishing up our missions month. And just let me just say that if you're still in limbo about what to give, please be praying, and let's try to settle those up here in the next week at the latest so that we can get a total out by next Sunday, okay? We really want to get that done, get that out there. So if you can help us with that, that'd be great. And um, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, they say, you know, one finger at you and three pointing back at me. I'm still, I'm still figuring that one myself, to be honest with you. Okay, so uh, uh, I decided today not to do anything. Just keep on giving what I've been given until the Lord tells me different. And so that's kind of what I'm doing, and so I'm just going to keep giving until God gives me clear direction on this year's number. And I haven't gotten that yet. And you say, well, you're not praying. Well, maybe, I guess. Maybe I need to pray more, obviously, right? Uh, maybe you got to figure it out, and I don't. Let's trade places, because today, you're welcome to it. I, I'll have a seat and listen to some preaching today, man. I'm all about listening to some preaching. I like it. But it is unfortunate today for you that you'll have to listen to me. 
Okay, so anyway, take your Bible, look over at the book of Mark chapter 8. You're stuck today, so that's the way it is. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. Again, remember, our focus is on missions today still. And yet, obviously, all the principles for missions can be applied to our lives every day. But notice what it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, a familiar passage for those that have been in church for years. If you haven't, this might be new to you. But what a powerful passage it is. Look what it says here. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus, while speaking to the multitude as well as the disciples, he makes this profound and very telling statement. He speaks up and he says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Wow, powerful. That word profit, he says, what shall it profit a man? It means to benefit or to advantage it's, an, it's a, a benefit or an advantage. So how does it benefit a man if he gains the world but then loses his own soul? That's a good question. Then he turns around and in that next phrase, uh, he goes on to say, or what shall a man give in exchange, exchange for his soul? That word exchange the act of giving up or resigning one thing or state for another. So giving up or resigning one thing or state for another. So Jesus asked a rhetorical question in a sense, what shall a man give up for his soul? What's he going to give up for his soul? And the question comes, what then is a soul worth? Because that's really the issue here. What is a soul worth? Now, I don't know if you think about that much. I don't know that I think about it enough myself. But what is a soul worth? In Seattle, Washington, on February the 9th, 2001, a young man sold his soul for $400 on the Internet. The bidding began at $0.05 cents on February the 1st. It concluded at 4.36 p.m. Thursday, and the listing said, 20-year-old Seattle boy soul, hardly used. The fellow's name was Adam Bertle. He was a University of Washington student and a part-time automotive technician from a little tiny suburb northeast of the city. He says the bill, the, they tell us that the bidding really only took off in the last hour when the price shot from $56 to $400. Of course, Burke... Bertle, he's an atheist. He said that his former girlfriend bid $6.66 for his soul. He said, I was happy to at least be past $7.50 at some point. So I was glad I got past the $7 mark. Aren't you lucky? A soul. There was a rash of this that took place in the past, and people were selling their souls. Can I tell you that they obviously didn't think too much about their soul? The question today is this, as believers, how much do we think about the soul? How valuable is the soul to you and I? It's understandable with an atheist. We understand why he wouldn't have much 
passion about or much concern about his soul. But may I say as a believer, we're supposed to believe the Bible. We're supposed to believe the truth. We're supposed to know what's right and wrong. How much is a soul worth? I've heard it said and found it to be true for the most part. Something is worth whatever someone is willing to pay. Retailers, they set prices for objects based upon consumer demand. I mean, what someone's willing to pay for an item often establishes and sets the price. Today, I, I, uh, I left my... Oh, he's got a phone right here. I got a phone right here. This is a really good one. <laughs> Let's just assume it's an iPhone 12. Or maybe the new 13, I don't know, but I know with the 12, let's just say it's around $1,000. You know what determines and sets the value of that phone? How many of you are willing to pay $1,000 to buy that phone? You say, that phone's worth $1,000 to me, and you go pay it. If no one would buy this phone, the price will drop. Why? Because the value is based upon the consumer demand. The value is based upon what you're willing to pay. About a year ago, I bought a bunch of these, and I'm going to get rid of them this year. These are, these are uh, lap blankets. Now, see, for somebody that's young and very vibrant in life like me, I don't need that. At night, I just, I, I'm so, I burn up in a house that's set at 63 degrees because my body's working at an amazing speed. But as you get older in life, things like this come in real handy. You young people don't know what we're talking about, do you? But you throw that on your lap, you wrap it around your shoulders, and you feel nice and warm and cozy. I wonder how much this is worth. I know what it was worth a year ago, but I now looked around recently, and then guess what happened? Last year, this was only $10 on sale. You know what it costs now? $350. Who will pay for it? No. <laughs> it's really about $15 on sale now. It went up almost... 50%. Isn't that crazy? But you know what? People are willing to pay it. And I'll tell you what, you get cold enough, young people, one day you'll pay it too. <laughs> then there's this Bible. This Bible in our bookstore, it, it was a, it's an old Schofield Bible. It's a large print edition. It's a big Bible too. I mean, it's really large and it's, it's got a, a bonded leather uh, cover on it, and man, I mean to tell you, it's a nice one. It's even got those things, that, those cheaters in the, you know, there you can't find the book, you know, you, whoop, there it is. Don't tell me those don't come in handy. This in our bookstore, mind you, this, I mean, supremely advanced Bible. $80. So years ago, though, by the way, by the way, this is the Bible that sat on this pulpit, and we read through the entire Bible the first three days that we opened Community Baptist Temple. This is it right here. Matter of fact, in the back of this Bible, I have, or the front actually, I have a list of people that uh, actually read through for 72 straight hours. Man, I'll tell you what, this is a precious Bible. I wonder what this Bible's worth now. 
not just because of the fact that it's a Bible, not just because it's a large print edition or that it has a nice cover on it or that it has some of those cheaters in the front. I'm talking about why is this thing, what, what, wonder what it's worth now, seeing that it sat on this pulpit before anything ever happened, the first three days of opening the doors of Community Baptist Temple from the Sunday to the Wednesday night, the first three days, and we took the time to read from it. I wonder how precious this would be and how much this would go for if we auctioned it off right now. I think it'd go for more than 80. And I'm telling you, some of you don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. You weren't here at the time. But I'll tell you this, if you were here and you participated, you might say, I'd like to have that as a keepsake. You know what? You'll determine how much this is worth. I got this, uh, this guitar over here. I wonder how much this guitar's worth. Now this guitar, actually, you say, what are we wasting all this time for? I have no idea, but it's fun. But anyway, this guitar, I, I bought this guitar in Germany, Nuremberg, Germany. Yeah, a lot of years ago, back when I was in the Army. This guitar right here, baby, played a lot of mean tunes. Look at that, I even got a strap on it. Doesn't that look like a real fancy strap? Yeah, can you imagine the pastor playing a guitar around here? You know, I used to play guitar, and I was really good. But I put it down, you know. I didn't, you know, the devil was using it to tempt me into the music ministry and, you know, Hollywood and all that stuff. So I got rid of it. I would play something for you, but I don't want you to say, preacher, please play all the time because you're so good. <laughs> I wonder how much this Ibanez guitar would cost. It's an old Ibanez. It's one of them years ago. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nice guitar. I paid $150 for it back in 1984. Yeah, wow. <laughs> the sad part was about 80% of the crowd went, wow, <laughs> that's really bad. Well, I wonder how much this guitar is worth today. I don't know what it's worth. I've not looked into it. But can I tell you, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay. You might say, well, to you, it's valuable. To me, it means nothing. So you're only going to give me 40 bucks for it, maybe. That's what it's worth then. Or that. <laughs> I don't know how much that was, but I'm sure <laughs> somebody can interpret that. Do we have an interpreter, please? Because I may just take it. I, uh, about, what, eight months ago, I bought some Tesla stock. I bought Tesla stock, 10 shares for my retirement fund, in my retirement fund. So don't think I'm going to be rich. I'm not. It's in my retirement fund. You hear I can't get to it. I'm too young. <laughs> but it's in my retirement fund. 10 shares. I bought them at $680 a share. You know what they are today? 1,128, just eight months ago. Eight months ago, they were $6,000, were $6,800. Today, they're worth $11,240. That's a pretty good return if I sell them and I get my money before it drops again. It might go up, though. I don't know. Who determines what that value of the stock is? People like you and I, people that are willing to buy it. Are someone willing to buy it at $1,128? Because if they are, it'll stay up. 
See, when it's all said and done, something is worth whatever someone's willing, willing to pay. That's the bottom line. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, the Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the question is still, how much is a soul worth? With that thought in mind, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We ask, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Use the word of God to convict us and change us. Lord, may we recognize the need to truly be a part of and to, and, and, and to appreciate the opportunity to be a part of missions. Lord, bless us and help us. May we be Christians, Father, that are sincerely concerned about the same thing you are, souls. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, if what someone is willing to pay for an item establishes and sets the price, then can I tell you that the soul is worth far more than any earthly possession? You say, well, how do you figure? Well, turn, if you would, to John 3.16. Again, if, if, if indeed what someone is willing to pay for an item establishes the price or sets the price, then can I tell you that that soul is worth far more than anything on this planet? Look what the Bible says in John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're talking about not perishing. We're talking about the soul not perishing. We're talking about that invisible person. We're not talking about the body. We're not talking about the, 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 the mind even or the, the, the internal organs. We're talking about that invisible portion of a human being that's going to spend an eternity somewhere. The Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that that invisible portion, that person that you really are, was so loved by God. By the way, I get the impression that God's not as concerned about whether or not I have all my limbs. Because these aren't going with me one day. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, God, you got to fix it. And God's thinking, man, I'd rather fix what's inside a little more than what's on the outside. We, we fail as human beings to recognize and see the value of that which is unseen. God sees us mighty different than we see ourselves, doesn't he? And so many times we put a premium on the things we can see, and we fail to put a premium on the things we don't see. And God's saying, listen... That invisible you, that's the real you. That's who I really loved. I love that person that not, not that your husband sees or your wife necessarily sees. I love that person not that just your kids see or your, your boss sees or your coworkers see. I love you for who you are and what you are inside, the person that nobody else sees. That's amazing, really, when we think about who and what we really are in secret.
So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He says, listen, that soul was valuable to me. How valuable then is it? What is a soul really worth? Well, God sent his son. That's how valuable it was to him. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his Son into this world. In 1 John 4, 10, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The God, the creator of the universe, Literally sent his son, and we know, and without getting confusing around here, we're going to try to keep it simple, but we know when it's all said and done, God himself became man and dwelt among us. He literally left heaven for our sake. God, though, the Bible says, in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, sent his son. That's how precious a soul is worth. That's how much a soul is worth. To him that he sent his son not only that but the bible tells us that he surrendered his son he didn't just send him he surrendered him turn if you would over to second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 Sad in the Bible, we see evidence of things. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you think about those, those angels that came into the camp, and, and they, they ultimately were received by Lot and, and taken into the household. Those vile men come and want to abuse them, and, and yet Noah would not surrender. The, I mean, excuse me, Lot would not surrender them. No, they're under my roof. Don't do that to me, sadly enough being influenced by the wicked world that he was in, he was willing to offer his daughters instead. Surrender his daughters. Can you imagine giving your daughters to those vile, wretched, wicked men to do as they please? On one hand, he wouldn't surrender the angelic beings, but he was willing to surrender his own daughters. Eh, he got issues. I know people living in the world, but I tell you this, their priorities are wrong. You don't live in this world and have the right priorities. You ain't going to live in this world and adopt the beliefs and, the, and, and, and adopt the, the, the thinking of the world and not have some skewed thinking, unscriptural thinking, immoral thinking, sinful thinking. It's got to be because that's the way it is. Well, I'm not influenced by it. You can't watch the trash on the television all day long, listen to the media, listen to everything that's going on around you and not be influenced by it. You can't, I can't. Lot was influenced by his culture, whether or not someone wants to believe he was. Proof positive, he surrendered his daughters. But they didn't have to go out there, of course. They were so vile and wretched, they only wanted the men. God surrendered his son, though. You say, why would you use an example like that? Because he surrendered him to wicked man like that lived back then. He surrendered his son to the most vile, wretched on the face of the planet. And by the way, can I tell you, 
I can show you all of them, or I could show you all of the most vile, wretched men and women in the world if I only had a mirror for each of you to hold up before your face. And I could see mine. This idea that, oh, they're really wicked. Look what they do. Uh-huh. Remember how God sees us? He doesn't see me in this suit. He sees me inside. He sees you the same way. And yet he still sent his son because my soul is so precious. Your soul is so precious. The souls of all mankind are that precious. He sent his son and he surrendered his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that Ye through his poverty might be rich. Man, he, he surrendered himself, and God surrendered him. But not only that, he sacrificed him. And he, when he surrendered him, he knew what the outcome would be. There's no question where it all ends. It wasn't, well, I hope mankind takes a turn. I hope they repent. I hope they get it right. No, God already knew long before what would happen to his son when he sent him. He knew what would happen to his son when he surrendered him. And he knew that ultimately it would lead to being sacrificed. Look at Matthew chapter 27. It's interesting to me, you know, if we're not careful in the Christian life, we get caught up in, let's, let's get into the deeper things. I'm all for getting into deeper things. But can I tell you something? Until you really figure this one out, until you really can embrace it and you can feel it for what it really is and you can really acknowledge it and, 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 and experience this right here, that deeper stuff won't help you a lick. Because it's all rooted in a relationship with someone who willingly sacrificed and laid down his life for you. Until you and I can embrace the significance of that, <laughs> All that other stuff is just smoke and mirrors. Look at this with me, would you please? Matthew 27, verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. We know that he had been at this mock trial. We understand that it was just a farce. It was a fake. It was a phony trial. They had already made up their mind. He was guilty, even though there were no real witnesses. They had to pay them to give false testimony. And the people cried, crucify him! Crucify him! Sometimes we think they went, crucify him! Crucify him! No, they didn't. They saw blood, they smelled blood, and they wanted it. They were an angry mob. Possibly if they'd have turned the Lord Jesus over to them, they'd have ripped him limb by limb apart. They get the idea that humanity is so good. But then we have pictures of what true humanity is in the Bible. Crucify him! Crucify him! You say, oh, that's scary. Can you imagine being there that day? Can you imagine loving him? Can you imagine if that was your son or daughter that they were screaming and crying about? 
would you surrender them to that angry mob? Oh, that couldn't be just. No way, I wouldn't give them for no- That's right, but God did. Why? Because your soul is so valuable and the souls of all humanity are. Then released he Barabbas, verse 26, unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, isn't that wonderful? I'm always taken back. You know, you've got Pilate there, you know, and he, he's got this water, you know, and he washes his hands. I find no fault in this man. I wash my hands of it. Now scourge him and turn him over. Huh? I thought he, you found no fault in him. I don't know, if I found a fault in somebody, why would I scourge them? I mean, physically harm them and hurt them. That's what he's talking about. It's crazy. He scourged Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. And put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him. And put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. God sacrificed his son. He surrendered him and he sacrificed him. That's how much a soul was worth to him. And then in Isaiah 53, notice what the Bible says in verse 4. It says, surely he hath borne our griefs. And I want you to turn there, would you please? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, because I want us to see verse 10 together. Look what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6. And then we're going to look at verse 10 as well. Isn't it amazing how we can justify our sinful lifestyles? We really do. We do a good job of it. I wonder sometimes if we don't get tired of hearing about Jesus on a cross because it convicts us about our own sin and unwillingness to sacrifice. I mean, I sure like to hear about how he's supposed to supply all my needs all the time. That's the part I like. And he does. But what about the part that he gave up so that we could have that? Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own ways. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God sacrificed his son. Look at verse 10 for just a moment. If you question that or if you doubt that for even a moment, look what it says in verse 10 as it kicks off the verse. It simply says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh, he couldn't have been pleased. The Bible says he was. 
Can I tell you that the only way that God the Father could have ever been pleased by the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, was if there was something so valuable that it made it worth it all. You know what it was? A soul. A soul. Isn't that amazing? That a soul is worth God Himself leaving heaven and taking His place on a cross and dying and paying sin's awful price, death. Wow. Why in the world is it worth so much to God? Why pay that great price? John chapter 3, verse 18. Turn there, would you please? Again, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here it is now in verse 18. John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Wait a second. He was willing to send his son, surrender his son, and sacrifice his son because those who do not believe on Jesus are already condemned. What does that mean? Already condemned? Wait a second. I thought I had to do something to deserve to be condemned. I thought I had to commit some kind of crime in order to ultimately be found guilty and then sentenced to. Uh, the problem is, is that you and I, as a result of the sin of Adam all the way back in the Garden of Eden, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The sin of Adam is inherent in all of us. We are born sinners. We will live sinners and we will die as sinners if we take no steps to correct that. If we fail to accept and receive the wonderful offer that God the Father has provided through and in His Son, Jesus Christ. We are condemned already. What's it look like? Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. What's this condemnation really look like? Okay, so put my hand out, smack it. There you go. Okay, it's over with. All right, get across the couch, take a few licks. That's good. I'm done. Mm, no, that's not how this one works. No, no, it's not like that. And by the way, no one will escape their responsibility here. No one will be let off the hook. Nobody has a good enough excuse to avoid what's going to transpire and take place here. That condemnation will not be lifted simply because God feels sorry for us. What, after he sent his son? After he surrendered him? After he sacrificed him? Then he'll say, well, you know what? No big deal. You're good. I mean, why should I expect anything out of humanity after I made that great sacrifice? That's okay. You know, I'm a God of love, and therefore I'll dismiss it all. And I know, sorry, Jesus, sorry. I mean, you didn't have to die after all. 
You think that's how it's going to go? Look what the Bible says in Revelation 20, because this is exactly how it's going to go. Chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the condemnation he's talking about in chapter 3, verse 18. We're condemned already. Condemned to what? An eternity without Christ in a place called the lake of fire. How sad is that? Fortunately for you and I, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God saw the state of our souls, sin sick and lost without him. He loved us so much he was willing to send his son, to surrender his son, and to sacrifice his son because your soul was worth that much. But can I tell you, it's not just your soul. It's every soul, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever graced the face of this earth. God loved their soul. He loves their soul as much as he loves yours. Oh, I know sometimes we may get the idea that our soul's a little bit more worthy than another. My friend, that is so wrong. That's not biblical at all. But you don't know. I mean, look at them. I mean, those are oh, over there in that nation. They're, they're allowing this to go on. And there are people there that even eat human beings. And oh my goodness, it's terrible. Can I tell you something? Their soul's worth just as much as yours and mine. It was, you, do you know that God sent his son, that God surrendered his son, and God sacrificed his son for them to To God, you know what your soul's worth? <laughs> well, we read about it a moment ago. Jesus himself made the statement, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, to God, your soul is worth the world and beyond. He makes it very clear that if for you to exchange your soul, for you to give it up and lose it, even if you gain the whole world, that's a big mistake, he says. Therefore, you know what that I have to conclude? Is that God believes today that your soul is worth more than everything you can see around you and far beyond. Isn't that amazing? 
That to me is amazing. I don't know about you. That's amazing that God sees me in that light. I mean, the Blue Ridge Mountains aren't as valuable as my soul is. I love going to the beach. There's never a time I go there that people don't want to check it out. And I have to say, I'm sorry, this is for my wife only. (laughs) Well, maybe that was a long time ago. You say, why are you wearing tennis shoes? Because I'm such a health nut. (laughs) Actually, my toes are hurting still. I dropped something on them about a week, 12, uh, about eight days, nine days ago, and I haven't recovered, so I've had to give up benching 400 pounds. (laughs) About 40 pounds at a time, 10 times. But anyway, I love the beach, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Sunsets and sunrises on the beach. Do you know what God says? He says, My soul is worth more than all the beaches in the world. Amen. But what about all those resorts and how expensive they are and how much money they're worth? He says, Your soul's worth so much more than that. And can I tell you, yours is too. Young people, can I tell you what? God loves you so much. He says, Your soul and who you are. Remember, the soul is the invisible you. He says, you are so valuable today. I was willing to send my son for you. I was willing to surrender him for you. I was willing to sacrifice him for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God is willing to do all that because our soul, our invisible us, is that valuable to him. Man. Now let me ask you. If a soul is worth that much to God, and your soul is, how much should a soul be worth to you and I today? I mean, that's really where it all ends, isn't it? I mean, so many of you have been so faithful in giving in missions. I I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in most cases, I'm sure. But wait, it goes beyond our giving, though, doesn't it? You know, this, this for us as Americans is really the easiest. It's whether we like to admit it or not, it's easy to give this compared to some other things. See, if I can give you 20 bucks and I don't have to spend time with you, sometimes that's a lot easier. Do you get where I'm going with this? Can, can I, okay, I'm going to say this, and I hope I don't offend anybody because I know there are situations and circumstances where this is absolutely necessary. Most families today would rather pay this than have to watch an older person live their latter years in their home with them, to be upset, to be, to, to be inconvenienced by someone living in their home that they actually have to help take care of. Just throw the money at an institution and it's taken care of. Hey, we can give our money up right now. We don't mind giving this up. Can I tell you in missions, this is the easiest thing to give. Do you know what's really hard to do? Approach somebody with the message and say, here's a track. I'd like you to have it. This right here will tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. That's a lot harder than giving 10 bucks to missions, 20 bucks to missions. Do you know what? It's even harder sometimes to go up to a door and say, 
By the way, I'm from Community Baptist Temple, and we believe God's concerned about folks, and because he's concerned about folks, so are we. So we thought we'd stumble by today and see if there's anything that we as a church can do to be a blessing or help to you and your family. And during the course of the conversation, we say, listen, before I leave, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, but before I leave, I have a very important question to ask you. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I mean, if you could know for sure, without a doubt, you's on your way, wouldn't that be good news? Of course it is. Can I tell you, it'd be a lot easier just to give the money and let someone else do it. Hey, how much is a soul worth to you? How much is a soul worth to me? How many times have I sat in my car after the Holy Spirit prompted me and convicted me to go hand a track out, and I thought to myself, well, should I do it, shouldn't I do it? Is that just me, or is that the Holy Spirit right now? And you know how you do that. You know it's the Holy Spirit, but you're trying to convince yourself it's not. That's got to, you know, I'm sure that, that, that that's not what he's really saying. And next thing you know, they drive off, and you go, man, I should have probably given that to him. And then you think, what if they get in a car accident on the way out of here? How would I feel? I don't know, maybe you don't feel that way, but I do sometimes if I don't obey the Lord. All I'm saying is, how much is a soul worth to you? We know how much it's worth to the Lord. And by the way, he sets the standard, doesn't he? Because what did we say early on at the very beginning? We said simply this, something is worth whatever someone is willing to pay. God paid a great price. And that sets the standard. That's the bar now. That's how valuable your soul is worth and mine and everyone else's. The question isn't how much does God believe a soul is worth. The question is how much do you believe a soul is worth. As we close out our missions conference, yes, we want to thank God for the faithfulness of God's people and their giving. Without a doubt, we want to thank God for that. But may we take a step forward in a more practical way by literally carrying the truth of his gospel to those in need, that's where it really needs to end, doesn't it? I mean our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, our family members, our fellow human beings. I mean, isn't that really what he wants for us? The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Oh, that ought to be our desire too, right? How much is a soul worth to you? What about your soul? Has it already been paid, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ? Or are you still questioning and wondering whether or not you really know for sure if heaven's your home? You know, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know you have eternal life based on the promises and the truths that God has outlined and left us in the word of God. You don't have to question, you don't have to wonder. You say, I don't think anybody can know that. Well, God says you can, and I think I'll believe him. Has there been a time, a place in your life when you finally humbled yourself, recognizing you're that sinner that Jesus died for, and that you deserved a place called hell, but you didn't want to go there? And you cried out in mercy and said, oh God, forgive me, save me, and come into my life and be my savior. I can't get there without you. You are the only way, the truth, and the life. And if you've never done that and you want to trust Christ today, you can. And if you've trusted him, how much is a soul worth to you?
And what steps will you take to prove it? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love, your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. And Today, Lord, there may be those that are without Jesus Christ in our midst. And I pray, dear God, that you would just reveal to them their need. May the Holy Spirit bring great conviction to their life. And may they say, I need Jesus today. I don't want to leave here not knowing. I want it settled in my heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there somebody to say, preacher, that's me. I don't have that settled today, but I want it settled. I can't say I know for sure heaven's my home, but I want to know. I'll pray for you if you'd let me. Would you lift your hand and say, that's me, preacher. I don't have it settled, but would you pray for me? I need your prayers. Please pray for me because I need the courage to make the right decision. Anybody? I don't have it settled, but I'd like to settle it. I don't know for sure, but I'd certainly like to, to know for sure. Anybody like that today? Anybody in our crowd today that would say that? Anybody? I'll pray for you. Would you lift your hand? Let me pray for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're a child of God. Let me ask you, how much is a soul worth to you? Thank you, people of God, for being gracious in your giving to missions. But today, let's go past that even, and let's ask ourselves, what's a soul worth today right where we live? What's it worth today right where we live? Is there somebody that we know that may not have it settled that needs to know? Because that soul is so valuable, not only to God, but it's valuable to me now that I know how valuable it really is. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music begins to play.